Seventh chapter, the book of Leviticus, the last two verses, verse 37 38. It says, This is the law of the burnt offering, of the meat offering, and of the sin offering, and of the trespass offering, and of the consecrations, and of the sacrifice, the peace offerings, which the Lord commanded Moses in Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their oblations unto the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So the first five chapters, and then a little bit into chapter number six of the book of Leviticus, God gives the commandments of the sacrifices. And he tells the children of Israel, um, he gives them different sacrifices to offer. The burnt offering and the peace offering and sin offerings and um, uh, trespass offerings. He gives them the list of that and he tells them uh, what they're for. And what is the responsibility of the children of Israel? Well, then you get to the middle part, or verse number 8 of chapter number 6, and you start over again. And you have laws for the burnt offering, and, and, and just right over again, peace offering and so forth, um, right after that. So when you're reading through the book of Leviticus, you get through, you have all these sacrifices and offerings. Say, so, okay, we got that. Then you go on to chapter 6, and it starts over with the burnt offering again. And then and then gives laws about that. So uh, we wonder, well, why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord repeat these offerings? And um, a lot of the things are similar. There are some parts of these two chapters that are just reiterating what is, what's already been said. Um, but some of these come from a different perspective. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to just do a survey of a few things from these two chapters, a little bit of the differences or a little bit of things that are pointed out here that weren't pointed out um, in other places, and think about worshiping the Lord, and think about the the way that the Lord would have us to worship Him and glean some truths that we can find here in the worship of our, our mighty God. Well, one reason I think we can think about the difference in this is because the first five chapters are dealing with the people of Israel. And so when the Lord is giving these commands, he's, he tells Moses to tell the people. The very first verse of the book, it says, And the Lord called him Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them. And so these are, all, he's telling the children of Israel, these are the offerings that you need to offer. Burnt offerings and what they're for, and peace offerings and what they're for, and, and the meal offerings and what they're for. When you get into chapter six, when you start reiterating these sacrifices, it goes from in verse eight it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. So even though it's the same sacrifice, we're now looking at it from a different perspective. Originally, we're learning about the sacrifice from the view of the worshiper, the person who goes and offers the sacrifice. The person says, I need a, to offer a burnt offering for sin. I need to offer an offering, um, a, a peace offering or, or a meal offering to praise the Lord. And, and the people would know what they would have to do and, and why they would have to do it. Well, where would they go? They go to the priest. And so these other these 
um, chapters deal not 100%, but mostly, primarily deal with the priests and what their responsibility was. So it's looking at the same thing from a different perspective. So we're looking at it from the one who has sinned, bringing their offering unto the Lord, and now you turn around and look at to the one who is making the offering and leading the worship and leading the sacrifice and looking at the sacrifice that way. It's the same truth, just looking at it from a different perspective to give us more instruction about the truth. And just from that point, I thought that that was pretty instructive on ways to to study the scriptures and to look at the scriptures. You're not going to find different um, let me say it this way. You're not, there's not multiple um, different interpretations. So it doesn't mean that um, John 3.16 means one thing to you and it means one thing to me. I mean, it has one meaning of that, but we can certainly look at that same truth from different perspectives. So if we just take John 3.16 for, for an example, for God so loved the world... Well, who's the God there? That's speaking of the Father because he gave his only begotten Son. So we can think of that in the terms of the Father loving his people. And the Father loving those in the world so much that he sent his Son. So if we can look at that text and that truth in, lot, in, in thinking of the Father from that perspective. But, or we can look at it from the perspective of the Son. So we can come over to this side and think of it, well, the Son came to die for us. The Son came as a substitute for us. And think about what the Son did and the love between the Father and the Son and what the Son did and what He offered. When we go down a little bit further and maybe turn around from the other side and look at it from my perspective, that I'm the one that the Father loved. He, he loved me before I was born. Before the foundations of the world, the Father loved me. While I was yet sinners, He loved me and sent His Son to die for me. So I can think about the love, the love of the Father for me. So you can see how we can just turn that text around. The truth is still the same. The interpretation is still the same, but we can just look at it from a different angle and a different perspective, and we learn more about that one particular truth. Well, it's the same here. We can, we can look at it, the sacrifice from the camp going into, it, into the temple or tabernacle, and think of, and we've already thought about it from that perspective. So now we're going to turn around and look at it from the opposite side as the priest seeing the worshiper come into the, the, the tent with the animal. So as you read these chapters and you study these chapters, if you look through them on your own, just remember that you're just looking at the same thing from a different angle. And now you're going to be able to glean a little bit more, get a little more information from that perspective. The same text of Scripture may have different applications from the same truth. And like the example of John 3.16 I just provided. So it's the same truth. It's not a truth for me and a truth for you, but we might take that truth and apply it in, in different ways. So you might have a law, for example. For a saved person, the application of that law is going to be different than it is for a lost person. What we take from that and what we go away with that, will, even though it's the same truth, the, the application would be different because it applies differently to us. So that's one thing that we can think about why God may have given this twice. And certainly for the priests, it would have been helpful to know specifically what they were supposed to do and for the people to know what they were specifically supposed to do. 
that God didn't leave them in the dark. And that's one thing that you will see in these, in these sections, that God is very specific and very particular in the way he wants to be worshipped. That he didn't leave it up to Israel just to make it up as they went along because God had a purpose. God has had a reason for doing this. God had a design in his worship and didn't just say, worship me however you feel like it. Do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. As long as, as long as your heart's in the right place. No, in the Old Testament, he was very, very particular. Down to the clothes that they wore. And how many times they washed their hands. And what they were allowed to touch and what they weren't allowed to touch. And so, as we look at this, that's something else that you want to think about in these sections. That God is very particular in how he is worshipped. Well, the first thing, let's look at a few new things from the burnt offering. So, in verse number 8, the Lord spake unto Moses, of chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse number 8 of chapter 6. This is the burnt offering. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches, and he shall put on his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burning or the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, and it shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burnt, burn thereon the fat of the peace offering. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So the burnt offering, if you remember, it pointed to our propitiation. God has set forth his son to be a propitiation and through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God that this burnt offering was for the sins of his people. It was a ransom that they brought the animal without spot or without blemish. The precious blood, the, the spotless blood was shed of the animal and the animal was offered unto God and sacrifice and, and burnt to a crisp. And this body, as it was consumed upon the altar, was a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. That the smoke from this offering that went up ascended up into heaven as a sweet smell unto the Lord. And so the, the worshiper came and he sacrificed himself or, or cleansed himself. He, he, uh, he slaughtered the animal. The blood was poured into the basin. Um, the 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 meat was separated and it was laid upon the altar. It was burnt up and it was satisfactory to the Lord. That it was a sweet smelling savor because the Lord accepted that sacrifice. But now we look at it from the priest's perspective and we see there was one thing in particular. Now you had the thing about the linen clothes. 
that the Lord would even have him to change his clothes whenever he took it out to the ashes. But there was one thing that was mentioned three times, verse 9, 12, and 13. Three times it was mentioned there would be a perpetual fire. But this fire never went out. And so I, I don't know if they had a priest that had the night shift and just sat and watched the fire. Or I don't know how they did it, but that, that fire never went out. I think the fire is the same fire that came from the Lord. If you look over in chapter 9, and verse 24. This is a historic, one of the few historical events from the book of Leviticus. And it said, And there came a fire out from before the Lord that consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat which all the people saw. They shouted and fell on their faces. And I believe from that time forward, that fire burned. And as particular as the Jewish people were about their service to God and the, the details of what they were supposed to do and what was to be required, it wouldn't surprise me if they had someone there just watching it all 24 hours a day to keep that fire burning. In fact, uh, the second book of the Maccabees, I, I read that um, this afternoon, the first chapter anyway, and it says that the priest took the fire before the captivity, um, before Nebuchadnezzar came, before they went into, to the Persians, um, the priest went and took fire from the altar and they went and dug a deep dry pit in hiding and kept that fire burning until Nehemiah's day. Now, whether that happened or not, I, I, I can't say, but that, that's their tradition anyway, that, that they kept that, that fire burning even in that time. But most likely, it, well, we know it didn't go out until Nebuchadnezzar's day. And it certainly went out whenever Rome destroyed the temple. But, but this entire time, they kept that fire burning. It didn't matter what time of day or night you would come to the tabernacle or to the even ends of the temple, that fire was burning. That smoke was going up. You say, why was it put out in eighty seventy when the temple was destroyed? Well, that fire is no longer needed. The Lord gave that fire, a perpetual fire, and said, I want this fire to burn perpetually. Well, look, Jesus came. And when Jesus died and rose again, that fire was no longer needed because that burnt offering was no longer needed. The, the fire in picture is not needed because Christ came and offered himself once and for all. But if you think about that in this Old Testament economy, no matter where you were, traveling around in the wilderness, that fire was burning. And then in the temple, that fire is burning. That sweet-smelling savor was never extinguished. And I read several people had different opinions about what that fire, and some people said, that, well, that pictured the, the ever-burning fires of hell and Someone said, that's the ever-burning fires of judgment. But if we think about what God said about the sacrifice, God said it was a sweet-smelling savor. It was, the, it was the sacrifice that bore the sin, and it was the shedding of blood that was a propitiation. 
But burnt up in that sacrifice, as the smoke entered up, that was a sweet smell unto the Lord. And I think that perpetual burning of the fire was the, a, a picture of the unquenchable love of our God for his people. That that fire, as it would always burn, um, was a symbol of the perpetual love that God has for his people. That, that it always reminded them that the sacrifice was accepted. That that sacrifice was a sweet-smelling savor unto God, and no matter where they were at, no matter how far away or how close, day or night, whether they thought about it or not, they could be home in bed, but that fire was still burning. That perpetual fire uh, was always burning, showing God's love for his people uh, through the sacrifice. It also shows a perpetual worship, a continual worship for the Lord and what he has given to us in Christ. So as Christ is our sacrifice, then um, God's love is always um, towards us. He never stops loving us, but also we should always love our Lord. And as that fire of sacrifice is always burning, we should never quench the spirit. Never put out quenching the spirit is like pouring water to quench something. It's pour water on it to put it out. We should never uh, quench the spirit in our sacrifice and our love unto the Lord. We should have a perpetual fire, perpetual love for our God as he um, has loved us first. So in this meat offering from the priest's perspective, we think about that perpetual fire, um, always burning, always declaring the love of God. Well, in verse number 14, we go on to the next one, the meat offering. And it says, and this is the law of the meat offering, the sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord, before the altar. And so this section deals with the priests and what they're allowed to eat for the meat offerings. Um, this was set apart for God's servant and for no one else. And so God had a, a, a dual purpose. So he had the, the purpose of the sacrifice on the one hand, but from the priest's perspective, as the people brought the sacrifice unto God, they were, seeing, they were also receiving this as a blessing from God um, as part of their, their service for him. So God, the, the worshiper gave the sacrifice unto God, and God gave a portion of that back to the priest, uh, as the priest would eat of that service there in the temple and the tabernacle. This was set apart for God's servants and for no one else. Now if we drop down verse 17, it says, It shall not be bacon with leaven. I have given unto you, unto them, for their portion of my offerings, made by fire. It is most holy, as is the sin offering, and as is the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron shall eat of it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Everyone that toucheth them shall be holy. So God says, this is, you're, the, the people are going to worship me. But from Aaron's perspective, when they come, this is Aaron's um, sort of his, his inheritance. This is his portion of the Lord providing for him through the sacrifice. That Aaron and his sons would, would give their life to the worship of God and God would, would 
um, give unto them all that they stood in need of. The sons of Aaron didn't have land. They didn't have a place where they could go and make a living. From the time that they were born, their life was dedicated to the work of God. From, you know, that, that's what they were. They were born into this, but they had no way of making any money. They had no way of eating. But the Lord shows that he would take care of them. They would worship God. They would give their life in, unto the worship of God, and God provided for them. God didn't forget them. God didn't look down upon them because they didn't have um, anything in any way of their own. Their, their reliance was upon God. And so I think one thing we can think about of this is we should, as we worship God, rely upon God and trust the Lord to take care of us. The priest could trust God. Now think about this. Israel was not always uh, the, the most faithful of people. And how many times did Israel go after false gods? And how many times did they go out and worship in false ways and not do what God had told them? Well, this whole time, all those times that that happened, the, the Levites still were there serving the Lord. And you think about all the nations that go off in, in their idolatry or all the, the times they went off in their idolatry. Well, here you have the people of the priesthood well, what are they going to do? Maybe sometimes that's what happened with their rebellion. That the priest said, well, what are we going to do? Because if the people go after Baal and they stop worshiping the Lord, then how are we going to, uh, how are we going to survive? They might go off and, and worship Baal and not give their meat offerings. And how are we going to eat? And they might stop giving their tithes. And how are we going to survive? How are we going to survive if... if we're not giving the people what they want. Maybe that's how, uh, maybe that's how some rebellion started. But they were to trust God with their lives and say, the Lord is kind, he is gracious. The Lord has told me to do this. The Lord has, has commanded me to love him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to trust him. He's going to take care of me. God's people live by faith. We can trust God that he will provide for us just as he provided for um, his people here. Paul makes the connection between the people who worked in the temple and pastors that uh, they do the work of the Lord. And as they do the work of the Lord, the Lord's people, as they give to the Lord, in turn um, provide for uh, those who live of the gospel. And in this uh, context, we find that it says that these offerings, the mean offerings, were holy. In the verse 18 that we read, it said, everyone that touches them shall be holy. Now, that's not saying that if you touch that, it made you holy. It's saying that unless you're set apart for the work of the priesthood, you're not allowed to take it. What that's saying is you better be holy if you take this meat. You better be set apart. You better be Aaron or one of his sons to take this offering because I've set that apart for them. This belongs to them. It doesn't belong to anybody else. 
So to take the meat, if you were un, if you were not clean, if you're not sanctified, not only were you taking something that didn't belong to you, that belonged to God, that God gave to the priest, but you were also taking something that was holy and making it unclean. If you want to turn, you can, but in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, and verse number 12. Haggai 2, 12. I have a question here. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with a skirt doth touch bread or pottage or wine or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one that toucheth unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So God said that meat offering was clean, and only those who have been cleansed, only Aaron, only those who are holy, are able to touch that meat. Well, Haggai says, let me ask you a question. If If a priest comes along and has that meat, in the skirt of his garment and, and touches something that is unclean. What happens to that meat? Is it still holy? He said, no, it's, no, it's not, they said. Or what if he touches a dead body? The priest said, well, it's unclean. It has been defiled. You've taken the holy thing and touch something unholy with it, or something unholy has touched the holy thing, it has become defiled. And, and he said, well, you know that from the, the sacrifice. You know that from the meat offering. But you haven't thought about what that means. You haven't thought about the application of that. Because you are just like that. You go through the motions without without coming to God for the forgiveness of sins, you are unclean. And your uncleanliness cannot make the things clean. You must be cleansed. And so, we in sinful flesh can't take something and make it holy, or we can't take something holy and take it in and of ourselves to make us holy. So, if we believe that some do, that the Lord's Supper that we're going to take next week, if if we believe the sum is by taking that bread that will be some sort of sacrifice or sacrament to make us holy, if we drink that wine, it would be some kind of sacrament to, to make us clean. Uh, the Bible tells us if that was the case, it would have the opposite effect. Because as soon as I picked that plate up, and as soon as I picked the glasses up, or I pass it to one of the men, and as soon as you touch those glasses, as soon as that happens, it would become an unholy thing. It would become an unclean thing, because it, do, it doesn't work. You know, If we're going to go by these principles, if we're going to take things to try to make ourselves holy, it doesn't, you can't take a holy thing and make an unholy person holy. 
It had the opposite effect. It is only Christ who can take an unclean thing and make it clean. It is only the blood that can cleanse an unclean thing and cleanse it and make it clean. Only Jesus could touch the leper and make the leper whole. Because if Aaron touched the leper, Aaron would be unclean. The unclean thing would, would make him unclean. Jesus could go to Lazarus and have him rise forth or grab, lay hold of the maid and tell her to arise and take the dead thing and make it alive and take the unclean thing and make it clean. The, the woman who was unclean, who touched the hem of his garment, virtue went from Jesus to make the woman whole, not the uncleanliness of the woman to touch Jesus to make him defiled. And so these pictures here uh, give us this understanding that, that it isn't the men who can become holy by eating things and taking things, but men defile things. And it's only God who makes things clean. And so just meat laws like this, what priests can eat, have greater significance in showing us the, the true nature of man and the holiness of God. It also shows us this was true sacrilege if someone were to take a holy thing and eat it. Sacrilege is just dishonoring a holy thing. And so if, if there was the meat there laid for Aaron and um, a son of Benjamin came through and took a bite of it, he's, he's committed sacrilege. He's dishonored a holy thing. He's taken something that didn't belong to him. He's robbed God. Of, of the things that God has given to others. Malachi 3, it says, uh, Malachi said God had seven different charges against the people of Israel. And one of those charges in chapter 3 was, will man rob God? And I said, well, of course not. We wouldn't rob God. We wouldn't commit sacrilege. Well, how have you robbed me? He said, in tithes and offerings. that it belonged to God. It wasn't that the people of Israel were to decide that they were going to give to God or not. God had laws and he said that you were to tithe and give your tithes and offerings to me. They belong to me. I give you these things and then you take a portion of what I give you and you give it back unto me. Well, why was, why was that? Well, it was because that one thing in the worship of the Lord, but the other thing to provide for the worship in the tabernacle and to the sons of Levi and so forth. But the people weren't saying, well, I'm not going to give it because I don't like the priest. No, God says, no, you're robbing me by not doing this. This was what God required of them. And so God is very particular in his worship. So in, in the worship of God, God is also receiving the worship there's also the blessing that is upon the worshiper, but, there's, but in this you see the practical of providing for his people. All right, so that, that's a, a little insight that we see here in the meat offering that we didn't see earlier. Next thing that we want to look at is the daily offerings. So Leviticus 6, 19. We just got to, we're not going to go th obviously through this both chapters, verse by verse, but there's a few more things that I want to look at here that you don't really see in the first five chapters. <clears throat> some of this is just has been repeated, but these are some things that you don't see 
on these offerings. Leviticus 6.19 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed. The tenth part of the ephah of the flour, or meat offering, perpetual, half of it in the morning, half thereof at night. In a pan it shall be made with oil. When it is bacon, thou shalt bring it. And the bacon piece of the meat offering thou shalt offer for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest of his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. It is a statue forever unto the Lord. It shall be wholly burnt. For every meat offering for the priest shall be wholly burnt. It shall not be eaten. Now, this was a daily offering for the priest. Now, when the priest would give his own meat offering, he wasn't allowed to eat it. So when the people offered their meat offering, Aaron would take a little bit of it. So if they'd bring a basket of, of flour unto the Lord, Aaron would take a handful of it, a measure of it, and, and burn it, and then Aaron get to keep the rest of it. But when Aaron offered his uh, meat offering, he didn't get to take his meat offering and offer you know, a handful of it and then keep the rest of it. No, when the priest would offer their meat offering, they'd give all of it, holy, and it was burnt every bit of it. So the priests weren't above their offerings either. It's not like everyone else gave of theirs except for the priest and they, got, they didn't give anything at all. No, they gave everything. Their offering was complete and entire. So the priests offered too. Um, the, the people that worked in the Lord, the, the Levites, they, they gave of what they had received just like everybody else. Because whether they received it through uh, the temple work or whether they received it by out in the fields, it comes from God either way. It comes from God if we work from our hands. It comes from God or however the people work, God gave it to them. So they, they gave their meat offering as well. But the, the interesting thing here is it says, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer unto the Lord in the day when he is anointed. And so I don't think this means that they offer it the first day that they're anointed, the first day that they're the priests. But I think this means they start offering the day that they are anointed, and then continue to offer. A perpetual offering. That's what it says. A perpetual. Half in the morning and half at night. So, when they enter the priesthood, they offer this in the morning, and they offer it at night, and they go to bed, and they offer another one in the morning, and another at night, and then the next day, and the next day, and the next day until... Uh, they reach the age where they're out of the priesthood. It is a never-ending, continual sacrifice. He couldn't eat this for himself. Um, he couldn't take it for himself because the priest was also a sinner. He can't take and eat his own sin offering or meat offering, but he gave holy of it, and he gave daily. It never ended. I believe this is what is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 7, and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death 
But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever half an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, may higher than the heavens. So we already see the difference here, don't we? The priests had to offer their sacrifice because they were sinners like everybody else, but Jesus is holy and harmless, undefiled. Remember the priest uh, had to be a holy person before they took those meat offerings. So they had to offer sacrifices that they might be cleansed so they could partake of what God had given to them. But Jesus is separate from sinners and undefiled. Made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons. Command Aaron and his sons and his generations and the priest after him and the priest after him that you're to offer this sacrifice perpetually forever. And so as that fire burned perpetually, the every generation of priests were to offer this daily sacrifice in the morning and the evening perpetually forever and ever. Then, then he stops being the priest or he dies and someone takes his place and the same thing continually forever and ever. Why? Because they daily needed to offer sacrifices for their own sins and then the people's sins. But because of their infirmities, they die because they, uh, they themselves are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And then somebody else has to come and take their place because it's never finished. It's never perfected. It just keeps going on and on forever until you get to Jesus who needs not to offer him, offer sacrifice for his sins because he's holy and undefiled. And he doesn't have to to perpetuate this because he laid down his life once and all, once and for all. And that sin uh, was sufficient and there is no more sacrifice for sins. And so even in this daily ministration of, of his food and burning up this grain was a picture of Aaron's infirmity. And so from Aaron's perspective, every time he does this, it is a picture that he wasn't good enough to, to finish the job. Every sacrifice he offered, every morning and every evening, he's thinking, I'm going to have to just keep on doing this for the rest of my days because it's never enough. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. And as he starts getting old and starts getting feeble and, and, and he's thinking, I'm going to die. Somebody else is going to have to take my place because the work must go on and I can't do it. That would make him think of one who would come who would finish it and finally give them rest. As they looked at that fire perpetually burning and always stoking the flames and always feeding the fire, they're thinking maybe one day the Messiah will come and he'll give me rest. and We'll have rest from these sacrifices. The last thing we want to look at before we close is the uh, the sin offering. 
and the trespass offering. This is what you have in uh, chapter 7. It says, as the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them that the priest maketh atonement therewith shall have it. So the sin offering, the trespass offering, it says there that it's the same for both. But one interesting note here, here is the sacrifice is, is the blood. So um, what we have um, in, let's see, verse chapter 6, verse 27, it says, Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is sprinkled of the blood thereupon any of the garment, thou shalt wash it thereupon with sprinkled in the holy place. But the earthen vessel wherein it shall, is sodden shall be broken. And if it be sodden in the brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. So the blood was supposed to be sprinkled in particular places, and it was shed for a sacrifice, and it's supposed to be washed in certain, you know, if it was got on the if you got on the clothes, you had to wash it. If it got on the brazen cup and it wasn't supposed to be there, you had to wash it. If it got on a clay pot where it might soak in and become stained, you just had to break it and destroy it and get rid of it. The priests and the people were to pay very particular heed to the blood. In chapter 7 and verse 22, you have laws forbidding the people from eating the fat, or eating the blood. If an animal died of old age or whatever the case may be, they, they weren't supposed to eat it. Deuteronomy 14 says they could sell it to a heathen or give it to a, a foreigner that's traveling through, but they weren't allowed to eat it. It was very particular. The, the blood was very particular. They couldn't eat it. They couldn't um, eat flesh that hadn't been cooked. If it sprinkled somewhere it wasn't supposed to be, it had to be cleansed and washed off of it. It couldn't just be strung about. They had to be very particular about this blood. It had to be in the right place at the right time. And so why was that? So if Aaron takes the sacrifice and turns around too quickly and it splatters on the clay pot, he looks at it and says, well, i got to throw that away. i got blood on it. He looks down in his garment. I've got blood on it. i got to wash this off. I got blood over here on this pot. I'm going to have to really scrub that down here in a minute. Why? To pay particular attention to the blood. Aaron was to think about what that was. Well, what was it? Was God had set forth his son to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. They were to consider the importance of the blood and, and, and what that was for. And it wasn't just to be taken in lightly or taken in consumed but it was to be seen as life is in the blood and the life blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. It was to point them to the significance and the importance of the blood. Um, and then whenever Jesus comes, his blood was shed in the new covenant. This, this blood was, 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 uh, was very important. It was the way that they could commune with God and have their sins forgiven. It was no light thing. God was very particular in how he was worshipped. And why is that? Because these pictures were pictures of Jesus. 
Why did it matter if they dropped a little bit of blood on a clay pot? Why did it matter if it got on there? Why did it have to be destroyed? Why did it matter if it got on a, a cup it wasn't supposed to be on that they had to wash it so much? Because these were pictures of Jesus. And to defile the picture defiles what it pictures. To defile the type is to defile what it pictures. To obscure the picture is to obscure the gospel. So if you were to take a picture and then someone was to defame it and draw a mustache on it or whatever the case is, you've ruined it, right? You've distorted it. And and in some ways, you may be, it may be an offense to somebody by distorting the picture because of what you've done to it. Well, to, to treat lightly the blood, there was a picture of the, the blood of Jesus. It's to distort the blood of Jesus. <coughs> to, to let the fire go out distorts the picture of the sacrifice. To not offer a, a lamb without blemish is to distort the picture of Jesus, to, to take what pictures Jesus and change it is to lie about Jesus. Now, how can we take this in our time? Well, in the New Testament, we have liberty in our worship, but we worship not in Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. But our liberty doesn't give us license to sin against the Lord. We don't live in a time with many outward rules like we do here in Leviticus. But our worship still must be true and still must be in accordance with God's word and still must tell the truth about Jesus. Jesus said we worship in spirit and truth, but we still don't want to distort Jesus, do we? We don't take blood and offer a blood sacrifice, but we do preach the gospel of Christ. And if we take the gospel of Christ and distort it and make it something that's not, it's worse than what they did in these Old Testament times because we're taking not a picture, but the, just the, the, the truth, the, the description of what Jesus done and twisting that and saying Jesus has done something that he didn't do or is someone that he's not or said something that he didn't say. God takes his worship seriously, so we don't have to dress in a certain way and we don't have to touch this and don't touch that kind of worship of the Lord, but we worship the Lord in spirit and truth, and what truth that we have, we must be very particular in that. And what truth that we have, and what light we have, and what two ordinances we have, we better be very particular in that, because it pictures Jesus. Just because we have liberty and freedom in the church, doesn't mean that we have liberty and license to do whatsoever we please. We worship according to truth, to lift up the Lord Jesus. We see what God says to do in our worship and we do that. We see what God says not to do in our worship and we don't do that. We do things decently and orderly as to make sure the focus is on Jesus. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. God takes his worship seriously, and so I think we ought to take it seriously too. Pray the Lord bless you this week and keep.